The book, Re-Enlightening Canada, is a landmark book about revitalizing Canada's path in terms of an open, democratic society, rational decision-making, and of course, um, open and free-spirited debate. With me here today is the author of that book, Dr. Brian Schwartz. So if you care about our country in terms of its future, then please join us in this conversation. A clear path forward requires looking back and learning. Good public policy requires human connection. It's a consideration of the facts, applying common sense and innovation. It's urban, it's rural, it's real life. We all have something to contribute. We all have a responsibility to get informed because there's a little piece of Canada in all of us, isn't there? Let's learn on this path together. This is Leaders on the Frontier. I'm glad that Dr. Brian Schwartz could be with us here today. Uh, Brian is a, um, uh, got his PhD in law from Yale University. He's a professor of law at the University of Manitoba. He's written many books or contributed to them, some 38 of them. And uh, he's uh, certainly uh, involved in, in many aspects of the creative process, including uh, he's a musician as well. So we're delighted to have Dr. Brian Schwartz with us today. Welcome, Brian. And thank you for having me. Looking forward to this. So, um, Brian, I, I certainly enjoyed the book. It's very sweeping in terms of its recommendations. Um, it, it makes a lot of, interestingly enough, um, incisive critique and analysis of our current state of affairs, and we'll get to that in a moment. But what I like as well, it has some very remarkable, rational, and dare I say practical suggestions. So I, I want to congratulate you on the book. Um, so if, if I can just begin with some really basic questions. So why did you call it Re-Enlightening Canada? a legislative program for promoting open, democratic, and rational policymaking? The en enlightenment part uh, has to do with what I was trying to find a way to encapsulate the traditional human rights, small L liberal philosophy that we can see in documents like the American Bill of Rights, the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And what are, what are, so enlightenment refers to those values which uh, I think are in more than serious jeopardy in our society, including at our universities. To be more specific, enlightenment values are open debate, open debate in the political arena, open debate on social issues, the idea that people can freely express what's on their mind. The enlightenment ideas included that every individual is equal. If you look at the Canadian Charter of Rights, it doesn't say groups are equal. It says every individual is equal. In fact, the main idea is you would not be judged on the basis of your group affiliations, but that you will be judged, as Martin Luther King said, on the content of your character, not the color of your skin, not mm -hmm. your religion, not your background. Uh, Enlightenment values include the rule of law and impartial judiciary and the idea that we don't apply the law differently depending on whether we like your political cause or not, that there's the even-handed application of the law. Enlightenment values include scientific rationality, which does not consist of Stanley Fauci appearing at a committee and saying, when you criticize me, you are criticizing science. That is an anti-scientific attitude. Science is about gradually moving towards 
more understanding of the objective truth through a process of open debate, rigorous analysis, and not appealing to authority, not trying to censor people on the basis of you have a certain position or you're there in government, uh, but the dispassionate search for the scientific truth and the belief that there is such a thing as mm -hmm. scientific truth mm -hmm. and not this postmodernist idea that everything is about narratives and how you personally frame things rather than believing that nature actually has its realities and we may not be able to get to them in every case with infinitesimal precision but there is such a thing as objective reality there's even some objective realities about society when we talk about the social sciences and we should be seeking for that truth politicians can decide what to do with that but the job of the academy the job of scientists is to impartially search for that truth recognizing that the truth is open to question that what is the truth is something that's subject to free and open uh -huh. debate by experts and uh -huh. non-experts. So, so what so you the, what you say there, Brian, is actually a, a profound uh, reminder, a summary of these Enlightenment values that perhaps we take for granted. Um, but, but you said a very profound point. They're really. You see them in, as in jeopardy. Uh, you know, like I think a lot of Canadians would be shocked to hear that those values are in jeopardy from your point of view. I mean, you have been a policy advisor. You've been, a, uh, you know, in, in the area of law for some 40 years. I mean, I think a lot of Canadians would be shocked to hear that. I'm just hesitating for a moment. I, I don't know how shocked or not shocked people would be if you... I imagine a lot of people think that they're not free to speak their mind anymore. Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of folks who go to university might be thinking, wait a minute, I'm getting indoctrinated here. I'm hearing one ideological line rather than being exposed to different viewpoints. But maybe people are uncomfortable about saying that out loud. Mm -hmm. So ex one of the paradoxes is to the extent, for example, people don't feel free to speak anymore, how do we know? Because they don't feel free to speak. Yeah. So um, it's difficult to assess that. Certainly working at a university, I live the experience. I see the increasing intolerance, uh, the increasing flight from scientific rationality, the increasing ideological bias in hiring and retention, uh -huh. the increasing extent to which classrooms are forms for indoctrination rather than free and open discussion. As a classroom teacher, you can have your own ideas, but you should be introducing people to all kinds of ideas, including those which are not in agreement with yours. Mm -hmm. And the idea of higher education is to encourage people to think independently and critically. It's not to reproduce your own viewpoint. Indeed. There are um, empirical studies which demonstrate very powerfully some of the realities that I'm talking about. Um, McDonald's uh, Laurier think tank produced a report recently, the viewpoint diversity crisis at Canadian universities, uh, just a devastating demonstration empirically, hard facts and evidence about how bad the ideological bias is at Canadian universities. There's another study by Eric Kaufman for the Center for the Study of Partnership and Ideology, 2021, uh -huh. achieves the same conclusions. There's some literature which earlier attempted to deny this phenomenon 
malarkey like, oh, well, the universities are laughed uh-huh. because right-wingers just want to go into business and make money. No. <laughs> the reason that there's a drastic disparity in ideology at the university is hiring bias uh-huh. and other systemic factors. It's not that people on the right or people in the center are less inclined to pursue the life of the academy less than anybody else. If you had this kind of statistical disparities with any other suspicious ground of discrimination, you would immediately, according to left-wing ideology, say if you have a drastic disparity, Mm -hmm. there must be systemic discrimination. Right. Okay. So if political belief is a prohibited ground of discrimination under many human rights codes, why do we have such a drastic imbalance in representation in the university. Uh-huh. Universities, ideologically, look nothing like a cross-section of the Canadian uh-huh. population. You could take the view that if you're on the hard left, you are somehow more enlightened, more intelligent, more rational uh-huh. than people in the center or people on the right. Uh, when it comes to the sciences, it really shouldn't matter whether you're on the left or right, at least the hard sciences. And in the humanities, we should have a diversity of viewpoints. And being left doesn't always mean that you are more right. Uh-huh. So, so just to clarify, been... but as as a lay person uh, looking from the outside in to a university, I think that a lot of Canadians would say, "Well, no, this can't be. Universities are places of free and open, respectful discussion." But you're challenging that narrative. That's not that's not true. Is that what you're saying? The narrative is not true. By the way, the word narrative is part of the web of Orwellian language that the left has invented. Everything's a Mm -hmm. narrative. Yeah. It depends on your personal point of view. Okay. How about the statistical studies of recent vintage, which both came to the same conclusion? Yeah, right. That there's a drastic ideological imbalance in the universities. Mm -hmm. There's a tremendous amount of self-censorship that people who don't agree with the prevailing ideologies are afraid to speak up and say so. Well, that's not a narrative. That's a fact. Okay. So so within that context to be clear, um sadly the the universities not maybe entirely every faculty member um has has kind of adopted what would you say largely cultural marxist postmodern views. Um but they are um they dominate the universities period. Um, and and so within that context, um, how do we? Uh, so, so you've really recommended. I think that's why the book is so interesting. Is is a way to turn this around to be able to go back to those Enlightenment values. Um, yeah. I mean that that's that's uh, a profound insight and opportunity, isn't it? Yeah. Now let me be clear before somebody listening says hey, dummy, we've learned things since 200 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure we have. And by enlightenment, I don't mean exactly the same as we thought during the French Revolution or the American mm-hmm. War of Independence. We've learned a lot of things. Uh, we've learned subtle ways in which there can be individual discrimination. We've learned sometimes you have to be proactive mm-hmm. uh, to eliminate discrimination. There may be things you're not aware of that are unintentionally discriminatory. If a building doesn't have a lift for persons with disabilities, that's discriminatory. Mm-hmm. May not be the intention, but you got to do something about it. So, of course, I mean enlightenment values as 
refined as adapted in light of all mm -hmm. the thinking and learning that we've done since then. But the core values, in my view, are still valid. Right. And my program is not about saying we've gone too far left. Now let's go too far right. Mm -hmm. Sure. I don't think you should be discriminated against at a university job because you're hard left. Mm -hmm. uh, you should also not be discriminated at a university job because you believe in enlightenment values mm -hmm. or you believe in the free market as potentially valuable in many ways, a form of personal freedom, mm -hmm. a way of promoting prosperity and a way of, in many respects, promoting prosperity for the least advantaged members of our society. Oh, Free markets aren't perfect? Yes, free markets aren't perfect. And in a debate that's supposed to take place at the university, one person might argue that we should deregulate that. Mm -hmm. Another person might say, if we do deregulate that in this way, we're going to have monopolies or oligopolies. Different people start with different points. They debate, they modify their views. And we try and come up with reasonable solutions mm -hmm. that take into account a wide variety of legitimate concerns. The program in the book, then, is not about, oh, let's start selectively hiring for right-wing people. No, mm -hmm. it's let's start hiring on the basis of academic merit. Right. You can be a very meritorious person academically, even though you're on the far left. You can be academically meritorious, even if you're on the libertarian right. Let's hire on the basis of individual intellectual merit and creativity and productivity, and the ideological diversity will take care of itself. Mm -hmm. If the universities even approximately reflected the diversity of opinion in Canadian society, that would be fine. We don't want universities that are just preaching, mm -hmm. you know, right of, you know, right of center libertarian think tanks like Frontier or whatever. We don't want universities that are preaching Canadian Center for Policy Alternatives mm -hmm. ideology as the official ideology, mm -hmm. a good university would have people from all those camps. Not that it's selectively hiring on that basis. It hires talented people on the basis of their talent and their work ethic mm -hmm. and their creativity and their rigor. And the ideological diversity should take care of itself. Wow. It, it, it sounds like a great vision, Brian. So when did it all change? I mean, I, I thought, you know, a lot of people would assume that universities have been doing this all along, but in your experience when when did the shift when did universities become kind of a dare i say a a, a pool of of cultural marxists by and large well the studies suggest that they moved from a little bit left of center to hard left about 20 years ago 20 30 years ago of mm -hmm. uh, 60s radicalism um yeah it was largely it people think that's quaint and that was just a thing, and we went yeah. past that. But a lot of those folks ended up being hired at universities, ended up hiring their successors, and it's a self-perpetuating system. Yeah, and 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 so part of this challenge, though, Brian, is that they are. Um, I'm not trying to mischaracterize people, but they're they're not about enlightenment ideas. They're not about open discussion, and many would call them anti-democratic. Is that being too harsh? It certainly wouldn't be harsh to say that they're intolerant. They're intolerant, they're intolerant yeah. of diverse viewpoints. Mm -hmm. It would be fair to say that these people who preach diversity don't seem to believe in intellectual diversity. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, 
there's a universal human tendency called affinity bias. You tend to think people are really good if they're just like you. Mm -hmm. And that's a weakness of people on the right. It's a people of weakness on the left. Mm -hmm. um, but we, in principle, should be enlightened enough to recognize that what we really want is pluralism. And if I'm on a hiring committee, I should be prepared to hire people I disagree with. Uh, but the reciprocal tolerance should be exhibited by people on the left. Mm -hmm. uh, in practice, when the left talks about free speech, it tends to be talking about the free ability to demonize other people, uh, the free ability, which is a very current issue, to demonize the state of Israel. That's all free speech. Mm -hmm. uh, people who are taking different viewpoints are potentially going to be accused of harassment mm -hmm. and discrimination. It's It's... A principal approach to free speech means that you accept you're going to hear a lot of things that are unpleasant because they disagree with what mm -hmm. you think. They make you uncomfortable. And one of the purposes of higher education ought to be to make you a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. You should be hearing things that you didn't hear before. Wow. It, some things that you always believe turned out may not be entirely correct. Yeah. Gosh, you may even be offended, right? Brian? You may be offended at first. Mm -hmm. You may be offended at second and third and say, you know what? That was a really bad idea. Mm -hmm. And then you should feel free to put up your hand in class or your master's thesis, doctoral thesis, or when you finally get to be a prof yeah. and say, you know what? I heard this in university. It didn't make any sense now. I've thought about it for 20 years. It still doesn't make it sense. Or, you know, I heard this 20 years ago and you know what? It made me look at things in a whole different way and I actually changed my mind. Exactly. Well, I, I think you rightly point out in, in human history it's been remarkable about how the genius of our of our civilization has been the ability to have that kind of open, healthy, respectful debate. Um, and by golly, I, I guess that's right. The earth is no longer flat from my perspective because you've convinced me otherwise. Yeah, a lot of things that everybody knew turn out not to be true. Mm -hmm. um, chocolate good, chocolate bad, to take a, a trivial example. Mm -hmm. Uh, running is good for you. Marathon running may not in the long run be very good for you. Yeah. Um, taking antioxidants might be good for you. Turns out taking a lot of antioxidants causes oxidative stress. <laughs> can be bad for you. You know, one really cool thing about thinking is things that seem obvious aren't always true. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, one of the favorite examples of people in libertarian think tanks is rent control. Right. Yes. Yeah, let's all agree that we want people of limited economic means to be able to have residences in which they live dignified and comfortable mm -hmm. lives. And let's agree that society may have to help those folks. Mm -hmm. The question is how? Um, if you do rent control, you see it here in Winnipeg, Manitoba, as far as I can see, rent control has led investors to move away from rental housing right. towards owned housing mm -hmm. and condos and stuff. It's reduced the market for people of limited means. It's mm -hmm. created a black market uh, in the rental area. Is that actually helping the people that you want to help? Exactly. You know, there is not as much difference sometimes between the left and right as people think. It's mm -hmm. not like people on the right are against poor people or right. people on the left are necessarily generous to disadvantaged people rather than looking after their own material yeah, and career. Yeah, exactly. There's well-meaning people on both sides, and sometimes there's a legitimate debate about what works. Yeah, I, if I like you're that. talking about COVID, which we went through. I think everybody was well-intended, right? Mm -hmm. But you actually have to look at the science and have open debates about whether 
how much good or how much harm do you do, say, by closing schools? Right on. That should not be approached in the spirit of ideology or censorship. Yeah. I think we will find out that whatever the right choice was at the time, we underestimated the negative consequences. Mm -hmm. We didn't think about it hard enough. Mm -hmm. What should be happening in our society is thinking. Thinking. When you're faced with a serious problem, you hear from people with different perspectives. And somebody says, what about? You don't shut them down like, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. You're worried right. about the educational consequences of masking or lockdowns. It's like, hmm, oh, why are you, you know, what is your point here? Or maybe that's a point I haven't thought about before. And what is the current state of the scientific evidence? What is the extent of the scientific uncertainty? Uh, do you have to choose up left or right, up or down, uh, critical studies or libertarian mm -hmm. to have an intelligent debate about yeah. how you handle a lockdown? Um, to some extent, it seems that, that that's what happened. Yeah. Um, there should have been ample room, even in a crisis, for people with different views to freely express themselves. And again, I don't come to things like lockdowns or pipelines as ideological issues mm -hmm. fundamentally. A pipeline might be good. A pipeline might be bad. I want to know what all the consequences are one way or another. A pipeline might be environmentally sound in the sense that's reducing the amount of trucking and shipping, which uh -huh. might cause more accidental environmental harm uh, than using a pipeline. Or maybe this pipeline is doing some harm. Uh -huh. Let's, maybe it's doing some environmental harm that we, we underestimated. Let's think about it. Let's approach things in the enlightenment spirit of open debate, actually looking at evidence, weighing scientific evidence, acknowledging uncertainties, and giving everybody a say as much as we can before we make a decision. Right on. So the, the book is full of recommendations as to how we can get back to enlightenment values in practice. Mm -hmm. I was hoping, yeah, I know some people will react, yes, of course, well, yeah, this guy is just like, he's not with the program. And because he's not one of us critical studies person, um, we don't have to take him seriously. Or we're still, he's one of those Jewish guys who's pro-Israel, so um, mm -hmm. don't have to take him seriously. Uh, in fact, the book was written from the point of view that reasonable people from across the spectrum should be able to agree on these kinds of reforms. Mm -hmm. For example, we should include freedom of expression in our human rights codes. Most of our human rights codes deal with individual equality, but they don't deal with freedom of expression. For example, we should follow the United Kingdom and have an office of free speech in higher education to act as an ombudsman to ombudsperson to ensure that in practice, hiring and retention is actually on the basis of individual academic merit and doesn't continue this path of ideological hiring. So everything I've tried to propose there is not something where you have to sign up for the liberals or the conservatives uh -huh. or the block or right. anything. I'm hoping that there's a constituency of reasonable people uh, who might actually see these as very much mainstream enlightenment values yeah. and actually say, you know, oh, that reminds me, we actually are in favor of free speech and we actually are in favor of open debate in the pursuit of science. Yeah. And, oh, we forgot we're not supposed to be anti-Semitic. Right. Um, but, but in that context, though, Brian, I'm wondering if there's a bit of a dynamic that's happened, and that is that we have indeed taken um, freedom of speech, this kind of debate for granted, uh, and meanwhile it's being undermined by, by various groups, um, uh, as you've outlined, uh, particularly in universities. But what I, I think 
probably most Canadians don't realize are the the profound benefits of this way of thinking. I mean, you you alluded to the search for truth, but I think what you've also mentioned is one of the big benefits of these Enlightenment values relates to innovation and prosperity. Is that correct? Yeah. The scientific method, including open debate, has done us a tremendous amount of good. Uh, But that means, uh, yeah, we have to be open to looking at things in new and, and different ways. We cannot exclude people from science uh, because they don't fit into the wokest theory of who belongs. Mm, mm-hmm. We don't have a lot of people suffering and dying from polio anymore. Right. There's two kinds of vaccines in common use. One was invented by Jonas Sack. The mm-hmm. other one was invented by Albert Satan. Right. Oh, two nerdy Jews. Is that a problem? Is there a problem with lack of diversity mm-hmm. in the polio research field in the 50s and 60s or even going back earlier because it was nerdy scientists who happened to be Jewish who were yeah. leading the field? Uh, is that not supposed to happen anymore? Only 2% of the population is Jewish. So we shouldn't have all these Jews participating mm-hmm. in polio research. Right. Well, if you want to allocate entry into the professions on the basis of demography, Woke thinking is that Jews don't count, mm-hmm. or worse still, count negatively. And certainly a profusion of Jews is a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what, what can you uh, pause for a sec and describe what you mean by wokeism? Because I think that that term is thrown around, but how, how would you define that? Well, I can't give you one simple definition because wokeism defines itself in many different ways, often using obscurantist language. Exactly. We've got a whole Orwellian web of terms for you. Yeah. Uh, They don't like what you're saying. They will find a term to shut you down. Mm -hmm. Uh, They call you a racist. They call you a sexist. That's all free and open debate. And if you disagree with them and say you're a social justice warrior, oh, that's a form of verbal violence. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden responding becomes physical violence or tantamount to physical violence. Um, yeah, it's bizarre. Well-meaning, then you're you've got white savior complex. Mm-hmm. You disagree with him, you're a sexist, you're a racist. Oh, you're a Zionist. Mm-hmm. Um, you're this, that, you're next thing. So they've got a whole web of name calling and evasions. Uh, Orwell talked about this long ago about the abuse of language mm-hmm. and the pursuit of intolerant yeah. ideologies. If you have what are the key elements? The key elements are that the most important thing about you is your group identity. Mm -hmm. And your group identity depends, seems on the material and ideological interests of those who define what group identities count. Mm -hmm. It could be being a woman counts. It could be being a man counts negatively. It could be white, bad, person of color, good. I have a whole problem with that person of color ideology. I think it's kind of racist. Mm -hmm to stamp everybody with a particular pigmentation and then lump everybody together from somebody born in Japan to somebody born in South America and say they're all people of color. Uh, But um, the idea is to distribute societal benefits on the basis of group identity, that society is fundamentally unjust, that, oh, liberalism is a bad thing. Enlightenment thinking is a bad Uh thing. 
To make it even worse, you call it neoliberalism, which makes it sound even yeah, more different. right. <laughs> uh, and we don't want those folks in mm -hmm. the halls of academe. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of academic articles in the humanities are this cartoon about uh, neoliberalism bad and everything we say is good. Exactly. Uh, you can make a whole vocabulary generator of cliches. Interrogating hegemony. Mm -hmm. uh, colonial settlism. Maybe we can talk about it of that with respect to the demonization of of israel that's going on right now mm -hmm. um so i would say intolerance of free expression i would say identifying people first and foremost on the basis of group characteristics rather than their individual identity i would say a belief that personal narrative uh trumps the dispassionate search for the truth based on a view that there are natural realities and social realities, mm -hmm. which we can get close to, depends on the subject matter. You're never going to be exactly 100% mm -hmm. precise in social sciences. We have to allow for for some of that. Um, but yeah, truth, truth is some kind of neoliberal ideological mm -hmm. hegemonic thing that people are talking about. Uh, narrative is important. Ideology is important. Group identity is important. What's less important is free expression, non-discriminatory hiring, treating people on the basis of their individual characteristics first and foremost. The message is the traditional human rights message that first and foremost, as Martin Luther King, I'm dealing with you on the basis of the content of your character, not on the basis of the color of your skin or any other characteristic. We want to take active steps to make sure that everybody genuinely can participate, that we don't merely have the appearance of equality, but real equality of opportunity. We want to help people who need help. We don't want, at least I don't want, a society in which we're first and foremost typecasting people on the basis of group identity. Indeed. So I, I think that's a very powerful summary of wokeism. And I think that the punchline then becomes that is such in contrast, in opposition vehement opposition to Enlightenment values. And I think that that's something that means that in many respects, everything's kind of at stake here. Is it, is it too much to say that, that civilization's at stake? Because if you look at those Enlightenment values, that's what's allowed us really only the last 200 years or so to become, uh, frankly, a very prosperous, high-functioning nation. Is that right? I'd say, yes, societally we're having severe problems, some of the nature I haven't seen before in my lifetime. Uh, the next election in the United States. Um, you know, the whole point of elections is not only that the winners win, but the losers accept the outcome as the result of a fair process. Maybe I'm not happy mm -hmm. that I got a president or a prime minister I don't agree with, but I accept that we all had one vote. We had a fair competition. I lost this time. Maybe I'll win next time. Mm -hmm. But I accept the outcome because it's fair. Now we have conspiracy theories on both sides. We have people who, if Trump wins, that election was rigged, he's a criminal. Mm -hmm. If Biden wins, that was left-wing conspiracy. You've got to have the even-handed application of the law. You can't have selective application of the basis of trying to shut down one party or shut down exactly. the other party. If you're dealing with classified documents, you have to believe that the federal enforcement agencies deal equally with Hillary Clinton, Joe Biden, mm -hmm. and Donald Trump, that they're all treated in the even-handed manner and it doesn't matter if you're pro-republican you you would be against election interference by republican uh -huh. if you're democrat you should be against election 
interference by Democrats. We've got to be faithful to process values. Exactly. We, in higher education, what what is the next generation that we're we're producing? People who are afraid to speak their minds, or people who've been indoctrinated one point of view? How how do we solve the most difficult problems if people can't think and speak clearly? Uh, if you can't put out ideas that are controversial, and, and within a sincere attempt to um, debate and seek evidence and ideas. So within the university context, you you certainly have um, underlined well the the. The, the kind of the sad state of Canadian universities today, and we've seen others uh, in North America and, and beyond. So during the um, tragic uh, terrorism attacks on Israel on October 7, you saw wave after wave of anti-Semitic violence and actions happen right across Canada. It's really remarkable from uh, fire bombings of, of, of synagogues to uh, drive-by shootings of, of people's homes. I mean, it's it's really quite disturbing, uh, to say the least. So has that surprised you, the kind of um, anti-Semitism within universities? I, I can think of the example at the University of Alberta um, just recently where there was the, I believe it was the director of the, um, the sexual assault center uh, weighing in uh, vehemently in favor of, of Hamas as the terrorism group, as I recall. Now, I know there has been some apologies regarding that, but it, it just shocked me personally that there would be that type of uh, judgment that, that was appropriate for staff, let alone faculty, to um, uh, weigh into that kind of situation in, in, in such a, well, a really an untoward manner. Because if you're of a, a Jewish student coming to that center for assistance, in what way would you feel comfortable coming to it? Now, I could just give example after example, but did that surprise you, Dr. Schwartz, in terms of what you observed? It's just the continuation and culmination of trends that I've seen and identified for many, many years. Um, it, we've just been slow all around to wake up to it. Uh, it may be too late now hmm. in terms of the erasing of Jews from uh, higher education. Uh, recent surveys have found in American universities about half of Jewish students feel unsafe uh, coming to classes. I know that at Canadian universities, many of our students have had to miss class or not attend class because they're afraid. Wow. Many Jewish students are afraid to openly identify themselves as Jewish, uh, let alone supportive of Israel. Uh, by the way, uh, in the, the Palestinian-Israeli dispute or the Arab-Israeli dispute or whatsoever, there's rights and wrongs all around. People mm -hmm. can have legitimate differences of opinion. Uh, but in the monoculture, uh, you're only hearing one thing. Uh, you, you're hearing the critical legal studies, the wokest perspective, mm -hmm. Israel is a colonialist letter, uh, settler state. No relationship to reality. I can explain briefly why that's the case. But of course, if you don't look at a complex situation, mm -hmm in an academic manner, which is trying to look at the actual complexities, the actual humanity all around, mm -hmm. and better still, try and think what you contribute to actually solving problems rather than vilifying uh, people or or supporting groups that are not looking to solve problems, but are looking to eliminate the Jewish people from the face of the earth. Uh, you're not actually doing anything terribly useful. You are doing something that's actually very destructive. Mm -hmm. uh, 
in, in the academy, of course, it's all about what white settler colonialism, imperialism. Mm -hmm. Okay, if you want to look at the Middle East, what's one of the biggest problems? Iranian imperialism. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Yeah. The Iranian government's got a, a bomb building program. The Iranian government has imperialist projects in Iraq, in Syria, in Yemen, in Lebanon. The Iranian imperialist project has destroyed what used to be a vibrant multicultural society in Lebanon. The Iranian project includes eliminating the state of Israel. Israel was close to reaching more agreements with its Sunni Arab neighbors like Saudi Arabia. And that's one of the reasons Hamas attack was to disrupt that process. Like that, those are the, the so-called about... um, Abraham Accords. Uh, yeah, right? uh, the next step was Saudi Arabia. Yes. And uh, hopefully that would have established a framework in which finally there could have been a just and lasting settlement of the Palestinian-Israeli dispute. But Hamas does not want a resolution of the Palestinian-Israeli yeah. dispute. Uh, Hamas is a totalist organization. It's openly anti-Semitic. Mm -hmm. It is openly annihilationist towards Israel. Israel's made mistakes. You know, I've written over a million words, I'm guessing, in my career. Uh, I've written extensively about the Middle East conflict. Mm -hmm. I've always tried to write things that try and solve problems that recognize um, issues on both sides to try to save things from multiple point of views. And there is no moral equivalence between the state of Israel and a violent, terrorist, genocidal, anti-Semitic, anti-woman, anti-GBLT, anti-Christian, anti-peace organization like Hamas. Mm -hmm. You know, the British may have made the mistakes during the Second World War, but they were not morally equivalent to the Nazis. doesn't mean the English people are better than the German people. We're talking now about governments and regimes. And Hamas is a vicious, violent, anti-Semitic organization. Number of Jews who would persist in Israel if they won, would be zero. Number of Jews yeah. left in the world would be zero. If you destroy the Jewish state, that would be the end of Jewish no, civilization. And, and that is the sad reality. And I, I think the, the, I guess the paradox is that I see this strange alliance of sorts between um, uh, parties that would be uh, in favor of Hamas and those are that are cultural Marxists. Uh, yes. And yet the, the, the parties that would be cultural Marxists, if they were to enter Hamas's um, uh, mini caliphate, if you call it that, that would probably um, tragically survive for perhaps an hour or two. Yeah, there's a very funny skit that was done by uh, an Israeli satirical show, sort of their equivalent of Saturday Night Live. Shows a couple of uh, pro Hamas demonstrators at Columbia University, and mm -hmm. one is saying, "Yeah," talking to a Hamas who said, "Yeah, we can go over there and do a rooftop party." And, a Hamas representative saying, yeah, we'll throw you off the roof. Right. Yeah. And then the guy says, well, maybe you'll come here, man. Yeah. yeah we'll come. Believe me, we're coming for you. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it's truly um, a very disturbing, uh, dare I say, dark time as we we see these um, uh, areas of intolerance and anti-Semitism. So I, I think it goes to say that this is an utter contrast with Enlightenment values and hence, you know, the importance of of getting at the legislative program that you're recommending. So this is really, um, you know, it, it's a fascinating book because we go from the theoretical level of enlightenment values in a way, but these are not theoretical values. They're values that make uh, a huge difference. These are values that hit the, the rubber on the road every day, uh, witness the kind of situation that we just talked about. 
Yeah, we can talk about, um, oh, universities are places for free expression. But if you have EDI bureaucrats who are actively promoting agendas that are inconsistent with mm -hmm. free expression, and you don't have a freedom of expression officer exactly. who is institutionally vindicating free expression values. And by the way, I'm all for reasonable measures to eliminate discrimination. There should be no discrimination sure. on the basis. Yeah. Nobody should be excluded from higher education Absolutely. position. And again, just because I disagree with your philosophy, even on the Middle East, doesn't mean I think you should not be hired or free to express yourself mm -hmm. in a university. But if you look at what's happening operationally, you cannot bring in most provinces a complaint to a human rights commission that your freedom of speech has been violated. Right. So I just want to clarify. So within universities, you're saying what? What can you explain? What does EDI mean? And equity, diversity, and inclusion. Okay. Um, well, inclusion in practice doesn't seem to mean inclusion of disfavored minorities. It's certainly in practice the EDI movement is very unfavorable to Jews, for example. Mm -hmm. Diversity certainly does not include philosophical diversity, mm -hmm. viewpoint diversity. Equity, well, equity could be in many things, but as practice, it's this notion of balancing outcomes on the basis of group characteristics. Okay, so in other uh, words, those that kind of uh, education bureaucracy has really been set up to perpetuate um, the, the woke faculty that dominate yeah. those universities. Is that right? Yeah, whatever the intentions in practice... EDI in practice tends to be unsympathetic to genuine diversity of opinion, mm -hmm. unsympathetic to free expression, and unsympathetic to disfavored groups, one of whom is Jews. Okay, so one of the other things that um, I've come across several universities is that these kinds of practices of equity, diversity, inclusion are now being used for to determine the enrollment by students in universities. Does that surprise you? No, that's part of the program. So part of the EDI program. Uh, yeah, some places you have to sign a diversity statement. Um, wow. Your commitment to following EDI in order to be admitted to a professional program. So you literally have to think a certain way to get into med school or into yeah, law school? Yeah, it's not school. just we're trying to make sure that we have fair representation from different groups. We're trying to make sure that you've signed up to the official EDI ideology wow. before you can get into the uh, profession, before you can get a university job, okay. before you can get a job at an administrator. I, I think Canadians would be utterly shocked by that, Dr. Schwartz, seriously, that, that you have universities that are not only um, uh, hiring uh, a bunch of woke faculty, but it's also about hiring woke students. So you have to swallow their pill to be yeah, To be clear... Some parts of our society believe in woke ideology, and they should just as much right to get hired and be doctors as anybody else. So it's certainly not about, my objection isn't about fair representation for people with different viewpoints. It's selectively skewing the system so there's only one viewpoint. What good is free expression in the universities or in the professions if the free expression is by everybody who already thinks the same thing? And People don't yeah. think the same thing, don't get in the academy. No, or can't it's, get it's another farce. It, it, see, it begs to me that if universities can't um, undertake that serious um, freedom of expression, and I think, again, most Canadians would be shocked by that, it begs the question, why the heck are Canadian taxpayers even funding them? Well, a lot of Canadians don't know. And plus, um, the EDI ideologues are good at what they do. 
um, you know, diversity is a good thing. It sounds good. It's a good thing. Sounds good. I mean, in principle, I don't know, depending on how you define equity, equity is a good thing. Is it a good thing that people who are excluded before are being included now? Yeah, that's a good thing. Right. Is it a good thing that we've eliminated all kinds of discrimination or, or done major efforts to make the world more comfortable for persons with disabilities? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, to make sure women have genuinely equal opportunities, to make sure that, you know, I wrote a whole book. It was published by the Frontier Center, too. I've published many books. With yes. Folks, uh, I'm not officially a member of Frontier. I don't yeah. kind of an independent kind of non-joiner. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, kind of a person, but I wrote a book called Admitted But Excluded about how we can ensure that people with credentials from other countries get those credentials fairly mm -hmm. recognized there. Indeed. If you come across and say, I'm for equity, diversity, inclusion, who's against that? And if you are against that, putting the words together and packaging them in the ideology, I guess you must be some kind of bigot. You must be yeah. some kind of uh, anti-progressive. You must be some kind of bad person. But EDI, you put them together, is an ideology. It's an ideology, um, yes. Yeah, it's not like if you take the individual parts, again, inclusiveness is good, diversity is good, equity defined in a certain way yeah. is good. Um, but who wants to be typecast as being against that? Right. Who wants to be against fair opportunity yeah. for for persons from different backgrounds? Uh, but I, I certainly I, am not in no. favor of doing anything other than ensuring equal opportunity. But you don't want to be accused of being a racist, a sexist, um, but I, I think that's part of the point is that they're, they're being very sneaky, dare I say, about using language that sounds yeah. like, how could you disagree with diversity, equity, inclusion? But those right. words have particular meanings within their ideology. It's almost like a yeah, secular as, religion. As a package. Yeah. So let, let's take some cool phrases like, uh, liberty, equality, and fraternity. Good stuff. Um, French Revolution had some really good ideas. In fact, French Revolution, in some ways, was the embodiment of the Enlightenment. Indeed. Declaration of the Rights of Man, we'd say rights of humankind now, but the rights of man, has a lot of really admirable Enlightenment stuff. But if you use that phrase to engage in the mass murder of people in southern France or executing people because they used to be servants to the aristocracy, and you're carting off people to the tumbrils without uh, any kind of due process... Yeah, all of a sudden that phrase isn't so appealing, right? So um, you, you take the Marxist uh, phrase from each according to ability to each according to need. To some people that sounds appealing. I mean, to me, the from each according to ability sounds a little extractive and a little intolerant. But let's say that sounds kind of cool. Well, if it turns out that's being used in the pursuit of bureaucratic communism, it's not so cool. Mm -hmm. um, so you can take phrases that, package them together, again, would most be Canadians be shocked that universities are pro-equity, diversity, inclusion? The phrase is very appealing. And why would any yeah. reasonable person be against that? You must be some kind of really bad, retrograde right. person if you're against that. But what Canadians don't uh, realize is that all those terms reflect this radical, woke, Marxist ideology. And that's what they're putting into practice. So it's time that we open our eyes and wake up to this reality. And, and what I like about your book is you identify these very real realities in Canada that are right before us, and you say, what's the solution? And I, you know, you outlined earlier about putting in freedom of expression across the human rights code, uh, having freedom of expression officers in universities. How, how would that be? Um, what are you hoping to see next? What would you like to see happen when it comes to 
this kind of legislative program now, Dr. Schwartz? I would like to see a lot of governments of goodwill and good faith who recognize it's not a good idea in principle or practice to come across as intolerant on the other side. I don't want any government saying we're trying to turn the universities into fonts of yeah. right-wing libertarianism or anything. But I do want governments to wake up, reasonable governments in the middle, to wake up and say we have to take some very definite legislative steps. And I've proposed a program here. I would like to see... You know, I don't necessarily agree with all these governments in all respects. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not a political partisan yeah. in particular. But, but that's like, the point. This is not a partisan initiative. This right. is about. But I would like to see right now there's uh, a government in Alberta, which uh, I suspect has some issues with the excesses of wokeism. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, you can do stuff that'll come across as intolerant or disrespectful university autonomy. I'm saying the government of Alberta and Saskatchewan and Ontario, Quebec, and all kinds of places that might be open, Ontario open to listening. Here's a program where you're not coming across as trying to limit free expression or dictate to the universities. My program is let's make the universities act like universities again. Yeah, exactly. Let's make universities a genuine place for free and open debate. Mm -hmm. Let's make universities a place where a thousand schools of thought contend. Um, Let's make universities a place where a student who goes into the humanities is exposed to all different kinds of ideas. They've heard from profs who are on the libertarian side. They've heard some profs on the far left side. They've heard from all kinds of people. The classroom is a place where you have open discussion. And what emerges from the humanities and the social sciences, as well as the STEM areas, is people who are independent thinkers, uh, not citizens who come out of university who have some kind of lifelong religion uh, of being left or right, or progressive conservative or NDP, but people who are always thinking, always searching, always being self-critical. Uh, to me, the ideal of higher education is that you, when people emerge, they can conduct an internal dialectic. It means you're always asking yourself questions. You know, I just heard myself say that, but wait a minute, wait a minute. Is that too simplistic? Am I just touting something? What's my actual evidence for that? Indeed. Um, the reflective life, which is not necessarily the happiest life, but yeah. uh, the sciences and our politics benefit from being able to think and think again. And the most important thing is we've got to open up hiring at the universities to people of all points of view. We have to open up hiring the profession from peoples of all points of view. We cannot have an ideological litmus test. It doesn't mean the governments are telling people you must have this ideology uh -huh. or that ideology to be a doctor, or you can't be a left-wing professor, because in my view, you can't. We need lots of room in my world for people who have very different views from me. But it does mean that if you just as encouraged to go to graduate school, if you're a libertarian, as if you're woke, you're just as free to thrive in the professions if you're Jewish as if you have any other affiliation. The situation with universities is irretrievable. Mm. The anti-Semitism in our society will be irredeemable. Uh, it may say, why am I going to spend legislative e energy and thought time on doing something? And why would I do something when all the people in academia are going to accuse me of, of trying to interfere with higher education? Well, Prime Minister of the United Kingdom did that, Freedom of Speech and Higher Education Act. 
There are provinces like Saskatchewan that already have free expression in their human rights code. So does Quebec too. I'm not proposing a single thing that's unprecedented or unreasonable as far as I know. You should regard the latest manifestations of intolerance and anti-Semitism in the academy as a wake-up call. You should have heard the call earlier, but it is time now to take definite action, not just directives, follow mm -hmm. Chicago principles, pass legislation, make it a priority, be prepared to stand up to the bogus allegations that somehow you're being intolerant by promoting freedom of speech, uh, you're being bigoted somehow by trying to make the world safe to be Jewish again. Uh, this is a time for people who actually believe in those enlightened values, the values that we have in the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, the values in Quebec Charter, the values in the American Bill of Rights. It's time for people who actually say they still believe in those values to actually take legislative action. Yeah. So well said, uh, Dr. Brian Schwartz, the author of the book, Re-Enlightening Canada. It sounds very rational, and uh, I appreciate so much your um, analytical insight, as well as your courage to propose a legislative program to get Canada back on track in terms of those Enlightenment values that too often we take for granted. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for watching Leaders on the Frontier. We're a nonpartisan think tank. We explore ideas, policy, and practical solutions that can make a difference in the lives of Canadians. We do not accept any government funding. We work for you. Thank you for supporting Frontier. Visit fcpp.org to give. While you're there, be sure to check out our latest articles and research. Without open discussion and debate, you're not thinking, nor are you free. Comment below. We'd love for you to join the conversation.